Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Good to have all of you at all of our churches this morning. And uh, man, if you're a first time guest here, it's a great Sunday for you to be here. And I think you're gonna see why in just a moment because we're in our second week of a series entitled The Grass is Always Greener. And uh, if you were here last week, you may remember that we started this series and we're talking about all of our tendency to just continue to look over the fence and believe that the grass is always greener on the other side. It's kind of that whole mindset that as soon as I get this or as soon as I have that, then I will really have what I want in my life. It's uh, kind of the idea that I'm kind of sort of happy right now with my life or I'm kind of sort of grateful right now for what I have. But if I could just get that or if I could just get there, if I could accomplish that or if I could be that or look like that or own that or drive that or live in that, then the idea is that I could somehow be happy. I mean, for some of you, it's the whole idea, as soon as I get out of debt or as soon as I get to vacation to this one place or <coughs> as soon as I don't choke myself. <coughs> <coughs> that was kind of weird. Yeah. <coughs> okay, are we good? Yeah, I think I'm back. <coughs> wow, that's incredible. As I was saying, as some of you were thinking, if he can make it through the talk, then we'll all be good, right? I'm thinking if I'll just get my voice back, then I'll have what I want, right? Now, it's kind of like that idea we often think even as well with our kids. We go, listen, as soon as my kids achieve this, or some of you are thinking as soon as I get married, or some of you as soon as I get remarried, or some of you are as soon as I get unmarried, um, you know, get that better job, get my house, get my, you know, kids, you know, get, become an empty nester, all of those things. And if you think about the progressions of all those things, you know, there's always something next. You know, as soon as I get my house, as soon as I get my house fixed up, you know, all of that kind of mindset. So what we often think is I'll be happy, I'll be content, I'll be satisfied if I could just be there or if I could just have that. So there's this tendency in all of us to spend more time than we should just peering over the fence, looking at somebody else's grass and wishing that we had what somebody else had had. Now, here's a question. Why do we do that? Because as we said last week, I mean, it's not very logical. Because you know from experience that there comes this point where more, it only like gives you more incremental happiness. It's, it's only short-term happiness. But so many of you, you're kind of like me. You still, even though you know this, you still have this tendency to play that what if I had, what if I was there kind of game. So the big question that we're answering this series is this. Why can't we just be happy? Why can't we just be content? As I shared with you last week, the short answer to that is this one word, it's comparison. Like no matter what we have, we are constantly aware that we do not have something else that other people might have. So we spend so much of our time, we look to our left and we look to our right and we just kind of look to see where we stand compared to other people. We always are comparing, but there is no win. And you know this, there is no win in comparison because all comparison does is create more discontentment. Comparison robs you of peace. It costs you joy. It costs you happiness. But here's the good news. The good news, and we discovered this last week, so if you weren't with us, you may want to go back and watch or listen. You can find the full version of the talk on our website. There, there is a solution to this discontentment that is created by comparison. 
In fact, while sitting in a prison with plenty of reasons to be unhappy, plenty of reasons to be discontent, plenty of reasons to be dissatisfied, the Apostle Paul, he wrote these words. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, the best part is, is the secret, as we learned last week, it is available to all of us. But the Apostle Paul, he believed that nobody can accidentally discover contentment. It's something that you have to learn. It's not easy. It's not obvious. You have to be very intentional about it. He says, there is a secret to it. That's why the intentionality. Now, last week we were kind of unhelpful for some of you, and you kind of let me know that because we ended without giving you the secret. We wanted you to learn to be a little bit content. No. So the reality was is because we gave you some questions that we wanted you to process last week to discover what discontentment was doing in your life. And so today what we're going to do, now that you've had a week to process those questions, is we're going to start discovering the secret today. And part of that secret is found in this question or one of the questions that we introduced to you last week and that you were to think about. It was this question. Where are you looking to measure if you're okay? Where are you looking to measure if you're okay? You were to think about that this week. Now understand, it's not a bad thing to want to know if you're doing okay. You, you should kind of be, um, you know, wanting to understand that about your life. There's something in all of us that wants to know that we're competent and that we're accepted and that we're loved and that we're respected, that we're worth following or worth knowing or worth having around. That, that's something that you should measure to some degree. But it's important to be aware of who or what you're looking to in order to measure whether things are okay or whether that is true of you. Another way of saying it is this way. What are you looking to for your reference point? What reference point are you using to make sure you're okay? What was your standard? Who or what is your measuring stick to make sure that you're okay? Now, you may never have thought about this, but... Who or whatever you look to, it really does have a lot to do with whether you are content or not. It makes a big difference in whether you really feel like you're content. Now, for most of us, um, the answer to this question, where are you looking to measure if you're okay, it is another person. Maybe that other person is somebody that you know. Maybe it's someone that you admire from a distance. Maybe there is a person or a group of people whose approval that you value so deeply. In fact, if you really stop and you thought about it, any time you start questioning how you're doing, you find yourself comparing your success, your progress, your achievement to this individual or this group of people. For some of you, that person might be your dad, it might be your mom, it might be your brother, it might be your sister, it, it might, for some of you, it might be your mother-in-law, or for some of you, it might be your brother-in-law who seems to be more successful in life than you. For some of you, it may be the approval of your spouse, or the approval of your boss, or your coach, or maybe even a classmate in school. For others of you, though, it may not be a person. It's not real personal. In the sense of that, a person that you know up close and personal. It's a person that you admire from a distance. I mean, you kind of look up to them because as you look at their life from a distance, you, you think about all that they have accomplished and all that they have achieved. I mean, they're your standard from a distance. And you're always thinking, man, if I could just meet them. And here's the thing. If you ever met them and they told you, hey, you are so talented, you're so smart, you're so gifted. If they told you, oh, I think you're just this great leader or you're this great mom or you're this 
this great dad or you're this great business person or this great student or, man, you're just an incredible athlete. See, if they ever told you, hey, I know you're going to be successful or if they said, hey, you're just as successful as I am, it would absolutely rock your world because they're the standard. They're what you look to to measure if you're okay. Now, others of you, you're not looking to a person that's up close and personal to you or maybe a person that you admire from a distance. For others of you, it's not people at all. For others of you, it's a number. Your idea is when you get a certain bank balance or whenever your assets hit a certain number, then in your mind, you'll be good. Or for some of you, when you have a certain job or you have a certain place on the organizational chart, that's your standard. For some of you, it's the neighborhood that you're living in. It's owning certain things or being invited to be part of certain circles or have a seat at certain meetings or being chosen for certain teams. So back to our question, what's your standard? What's your point of reference? Where are you looking to to measure if you're okay? Because here's the reality. All of us look somewhere. It's like there's this whisper inside of us that just time from time to time just comes and gets in our head and starts speaking to our heart and says, I wonder. Don't you have that whisper in your mind, in your heart sometimes? I wonder how I'm doing. I wonder how I'm measuring up. I wonder if he'll always love me. I wonder if she'll ever leave me. I wonder if my boss thinks that I'm a good employer. I wonder if my kids think that I'm a good parent. I I wonder if I'm enough. I wonder if I'm accepted. I I wonder if I'm respected. I, I wonder if I'm doing all right. See, that whisper, we've all heard it, right? Sounded familiar to when I was saying it out loud. That whisper is part of the normal human experience. And it doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how you were raised, whether you had a good background or a bad background. That question, it never leaves us. It never leaves us. So what do you do about it? Now, here's why that's important. Because while we know that that whisper is there and we know it to be true, what you may not know is that being a follower of Jesus Christ, it absolutely offers an explanation for where that whisper comes from. And then it offers an answer to the question, am I doing okay? I don't want you to miss that. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that might be why you want to think about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Because being a follower of Jesus Christ, being in a relationship with Jesus, it answers where that whisper comes from. And then the answer to the question of, am I doing okay? In fact, the Apostle Paul, he addresses this in an ancient letter that he wrote about AD 49 to Christ followers living in the area of Galatia. So if you wanna take your Bibles and go with us to Galatians today, that's where we're gonna be looking. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul, he explains that this single event in history that we call the resurrection, he says, this single event, it has the potential to change where you look to measure whether you're okay. In fact, here's what the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse four. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, literally Jesus, born of a woman, that would be Mary. And then this is the significant line, born under the law. Now, this might kind of be new terminology, this whole idea of born under the law. This may be a new idea for many of you. So let me just explain it for, the, for a minute. Literally what Paul is telling us is that every person who is born in this world, including Jesus, was born under the law. And what that means is you were born not only under God's law, 
being obligated to God's law, but it also means that you were born with some sense of a moral compass, this set of ought to's and ought not to's that were basically written in our heart. In other words, nobody really has to teach it to you. God designed you with a level of understanding, some level of understanding of right and wrong that you've always kind of intuitively known. It's that thing that's in you that think things like this. People should always, or people should never, or you think, man, this is just right, or this is just wrong, or I should always, or I should never. It's those kind of thoughts. So let me just kind of give you an example. Let's just say that, um, that you're backing your vehicle, your truck especially. Let's just pick on trucks because they're so big in parking lots um, nowadays. And you ever get frustrated about these trucks that are so big they should have two parking spots, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so let's just say that you're backing your truck out of the parking lot and you accidentally bump in because your truck is long and it's got this big bumper thing on the back and um, you bump into somebody else's car behind you. And of course you get out and you take a look at the damage and your truck is good to go, obviously. I mean, you could run over somebody and never know it because your truck is so big and powerful, right? But there's a pretty significant dent, some scratches on the paint of the other person's car. So you're in a hurry and you know what? You, you don't want to be bothered with this and there's nothing wrong with your vehicle, right? And you don't need something else to deal with in your life right now. So you look around and you see, is anybody else looking? Anybody else see this? No. And then you also look around and you go, oh, there's no cameras in this parking lot. So what do you do? Now, here's the reality. We, we all find ourselves in these kind of situations all the time, don't we? I mean, I don't care if you're a Christ follower or not. In that situation, you know what the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do is immediately, right? Well, where did that come from? How did you know that those things, it would be wrong, it would be the wrong thing for you to do just to drive off from that parking lot? How did you know that? I mean, how, how come everybody in this room or in our, all of our rooms knows the same thing? It's not because of how you're raised. It's not the fact that you're an American. No, the Apostle Paul says, no, it is much bigger than that. The, the reason this understanding of what's right and wrong is universal for all people for all times and all places is because God wrote this sense of right and wrong on your heart when you were born. You were born under the law and you were born accountable to it. Now, here's the bad news. Not living up to that internal standard of right and wrong that you have and then not living up as you begin to understand, you get older, you begin to understand God's law, not owning up or living up to that. What it does is it creates guilt in you and then that guilt begins to create insecurity in you. So don't, don't misunderstand that. With guilt comes insecurity. And when you start feeling guilt that leads to insecurity, suddenly you're not sure that you're okay anymore. And there's no amount of rationalizing, there's no amount of accomplishment or achievement, there's no purchase, there's no promotion, there's no marriage, there's no amount of money that will make that sense of wrong, that sense of insecurity that comes from guilt go away. Because your problem and my problem, according to the Apostle Paul, is much bigger than that. We were born under the law. The Apostle Paul says the root of our problem is, is we were born with this moral compass, 
And whenever we fail to do things that are right, and we've all failed to do so many things that are right, it creates all this insecurity, and then it creates brokenness. Our insecurity makes us draw in, it makes us hide out, and it creates all this brokenness in our relationships, not only in our relationships with other people, with ourselves, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, and even with God. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that is why most of the people we look over the fence at, those successful people that we think like the grass is more greener in their yard, it's why they still don't seem content. It's why we know people who have accomplished so much and they are still searching and they're still striving for more. And you're looking over the fence at their life and you're thinking, man, if I had what they had, if I had their marriage, if I, if I had you know, what they own, if I lived where they lived, if my kids turned out like their kids, man, that would be more than enough. I would just be secure and I would be satisfied. But we know that doesn't work that way because more is never enough because there is something that is broken, something that makes a person look at their success and go, what am I missing? And it has everything to do with this thing being born under the law. Now, what we all know is like, if, if we get that more expensive car or that bigger house, or you, know, you have another child, it won't solve any problem of insecurity or guilt or shame in our life, which is why the apostle Paul says, hey, here's some good news. At the right time, at the right time, what happened? God sent his son, and why did he send his son? To fix the problem all of us born under the law have. That whole guilt, shame, and therefore insecurity thing. So God sent his son, Jesus, to be the answer for you and to let you know that in Jesus Christ, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're okay with God. See, for all of us who just kind of get caught up in these ought to's and ought not to's, here, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law. Well, who are those under the law? That's all of us. That's every one of us. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, Jesus showed up to do something for people who would follow him and those who wouldn't follow him, those who would believe in him, and those who would not believe in him. And what he did is he came to redeem those under the law. Literally, he came to provide a solution to all the relationships we've broken, to all the insecurity that we feel. He redeemed all of us who stand guilty under the law. How did he do that? By going to the cross and dying for our sins, paying the price on the cross for our sin, and then rising again. Now, what's interesting about this is when you read this, to redeem those, this word redeemed here, it's really a financial or transactional kind of term that means to buy back or to win back. It's to bring something together that has been separated. That would be our relationship with God. The problem is, is this word redeem, it's a very transactional kind of term. It's a very financial term. It's, it doesn't feel very personal to us when we say, well, Jesus came to redeem us who were under the law to buy us back, to win us back. 
But there is something that is very personal in this verse. There's something that becomes very emotional, so emotional that it will override all of your sense of guilt, shame, and insecurity. And it's in the last part of this verse. Notice what he says. He redeemed those who were under the law, literally redeemed all of those who were guilty so that we would have the opportunity to receive adoption to being a son or a daughter of Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, and, and I pray this morning this becomes very personal to you, Jesus didn't die for your sins just so that you know that you're forgiven. He didn't just die for your sins so that you could know that you're going to heaven when you die. He says, no, no, no. It is way better than that. Jesus died for your sins and rose again so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Literally, so that you and I could become part of God's eternal forever family. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. This is phenomenal when you think about it. This word adoption, the Apostle Paul uses very intentionally. But it's different than how we think of adoption. See, when you think of adoption, you might think of babies being adopted. But the type of, that type of adoption of adopting babies, it didn't exist in the first century when the Apostle Paul was writing this. The only kind of adoption that Roman or Greek citizens knew in the first century was adult adoption. See, it was not uncommon for a family to want a certain kind of son to be their heir, and maybe their son didn't turn out right, or they didn't have a son. And so what they would do is they would look around, and they would find a grown man who had very few flaws or very few faults, a person of great character, a person that had been successful. He'd already proven himself to be responsible and was physically healthy, and in most cases, very wealthy. And what they would do is they would adopt him. And so when the apostle Paul wrote about that we might receive adoption to sonship, this is what they thought about. Only the apostle Paul has the exactly the opposite approach on the kind of people that God was looking for. He's saying, yeah, while first century people, you're looking for this man of character to adopt, to carry on your lineage and to manage your assets when you're no longer here. He says, God, on the other hand, God came to redeem those under the law. God who knew all your faults, all your failures, all your sins, all your mess ups that you have had as an adult, whether you're in middle school or high school or college or middle age or whatever age you are, he still chose to offer adoption to you into his family. He's literally saying, God is not shocked by all your hidden secrets. God is not shocked by all your messes. No, he is fully aware of everything you did, everything you've done in secret, and he still chose to die for you and then to offer you a permanent place into his family. That's how much God loves you. And that is way better than just forgiveness. And that's way better than just heaven. No, you are invited to be a child of your creator, God. That's incredible when you think about it. To be a child of your creator, God. And notice this in verse six. Here's what he says. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit, literally this would be the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, what does this word Abba mean? It literally means daddy. The apostle Paul says, listen, 
God didn't just do something transactional with you when he came and died on the cross and rose again. No, no, no. He did something very personal, something probably more personal than what any of your fathers have ever done because God is a perfect, loving father. So please never compare your earthly father to Father God because he is a perfect, loving father. And what he's saying is this all-powerful God came in human flesh, died, rose again, knowing all the sins that you've ever committed in your life. And now he then turns and he looks at you and says, hey, if you will accept this offer, I'm inviting you to call me dad. Imagine what would ever happen if you ever fully embraced this idea that the God of the universe Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, has invited you into such a personal relationship with you, so in love with you, because he created you, he made you, he shaped you, he gave you the gifts that he gave you, so that you could be in this amazing relationship with him, and he could wake up, or when you wake up every morning, he'd go, good morning, child. So good to be with you today. I watched over you all night. So good to spend a day with you. Now, let me just say something. If you, if you turned out, tuned out for a minute, I want you to turn back, tune back in because this is really the secret to learning to be content. It really is. Contentment, don't miss this. Contentment comes from security. Contentment comes from security. And security is found in being confident in who and whose you are. See, once you know that your creator God is your dad. And he loves you unconditionally. He, He loves you knowing everything that you ever have done wrong against him or any other person. He's saying, and I, I still came, I redeemed you. And now I'm offering, I'm offering this invitation to you to be my child. See, at that point, when you begin to understand that, then you understand you don't have to be insecure. And you don't have to be discontent anymore. Because at that point in time, you don't need to look to the left. And you don't need to look to the right to see if you're doing okay. No, you don't have to look that way. You can simply look up and you can hear your daddy say, yeah, don't worry about. Don't worry about those people on that side of the fence or that side of the fence. You're fine because you're my son. You're my daughter. And he says that about you every day, just like you say that if you're a good parent about your children every day, no matter whether they live up to their potential or not. You're fine because you're mine. Now, let me kind of explain it this way. Who who do great parents compare their children to? Nobody. Great parents don't ever compare their children to other people. I mean, have you ever met a parent who just came home from the hospital with their newborn baby and they said, man, we got an ugly baby here. (laughs) I wish our baby looked more like everybody else's baby. I'm like, nobody does that. They look at their baby and go, oh, this is the most beautiful baby in the world. This is the most precious child in the world, blah, 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 right? And, And here's the thing. Whenever you hear a parent compare their child to another child at school or another child that plays sports or whatever, but whenever you hear a parent compare their child to another child that's not their child, who do you think something's wrong with, the child or the parent? You don't think there's anything wrong with the child. You think there's something wrong with the parent. You feel bad for the child. You feel anger probably toward the parent. 
So let me ask you this question. Who do you think that your heavenly father compares you to on this earth? Nobody. He doesn't compare you to your boss, your neighbor. He doesn't compare you to that other student. He doesn't compare you to your in-laws. He doesn't compare you to your dad, that pastor. I mean, like, are you, are you kidding me? See, we fall in this trap and we think that God is comparing us to other people. He doesn't compare us to anybody else. No, he loves you so much that he created you and then that relationship with you was broken and he came and he paid the price on the cross to redeem you and now he's offering adoption to you knowing everything about you. He died for you fully aware. He says, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter because he loves you just like you are and he invites you to call him daddy. Listen, when you pray from now on, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't use Lord and God and all of that stuff. Because you think that's how you're supposed to pray to God in some formal language. No, no, no. He says he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit that when we talk to him at that point in time, we then are free to say, Daddy, hey, Dad, I'm scared today. Dad, I'm struggling today. Dad, I'm hurting today. Dad, you see what happened to me today? He says he sends a spirit who calls out Abba Father. See, when you're really praying through the Holy Spirit to God, it, it turns into nothing formal. It comes into something very personal, Dad. So, so with that in mind, who, who should you look to to measure if you're doing okay? Some people around you? People you don't even know? Don't kid yourself. Just look up your heavenly father, your daddy father, because if he's good with you, and the good news is he is, then you just need to see yourself the way that he sees you. And once you do, then you become secure in who you are and whose you are. And I'm telling you, that's, that is the foundational secret to learning to live content. But I'm telling you, until you have the spirit of God in you, until you have a relationship with God, you've received that forgiveness. Until you're good with creator God, you're never gonna have peace. You're never gonna have joy. You're never gonna have contentment. So the question is this, how do you learn to live content? Well, here's how you do it. You get your view about you from the one who made you, loves you, redeemed you, and adopted you. And I hope everybody writes this statement down and, and looks at this. You get your view about you from the one. Who is that one? It's your dad, your daddy father, creator God. He, he, he made you, he designed you so you could be you. And, and he specially designed you so you could be you. And he loves you because he created you. And then when that relationship got broken, he says, okay, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to pay to win you back and buy you back by dying and rising again. And now he says, oh, I want to, I want to adopt you. And I just want to say this, this statement here, it is not a license to never change or grow or achieve. No, it's just the opposite of that.
See, because once you become secure in who you are and in whose you are, then you'll be free to be all that God created you to be, and you won't try to be whoever somebody else wants you to be. No, you'll be free to fulfill your own potential. You'll be free to take risk and try things and fail because failure doesn't define you anymore. It's just an event. It's not your identity, and you know that your daddy God is okay with you going, yeah, son, yeah, daughter, awesome, you tried that. Let's learn from that, and let's see how we can do better next time because I made you to be creative and that's how you learn by failing and making mistakes. See, when you understand that God is daddy father, then you're free to be honest about all your messes in your life and you're able to cooperate with God as he changes you and frees you from all that stuff in your past. Listen, this is not, this statement is not about not being you. God is saying, I want you to be the real you, the real you that I created you to be. See, what this does, when I get my view about me from my daddy father, it frees me to be the best version of me. It frees you to be the best version of you that God created you to be because if creator God is okay with you, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. So just imagine with me for just a moment before we close out our conversation today, how powerful it would be if you embrace your heavenly father's approval of you. If you stop peering over the fence to see what other people thought about you. If you stop taking your cues about you from the people around you. If you stop looking to the left and right to see if you measured up to see if you're okay. Like if you stop looking at your past. If you stop looking at your failures. Because Jesus said, I took care of all of your sins. Past, present, and future. If you stop looking at all that. There's no hope. There's no peace there. See, you were never meant to live that way. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to us in Galatians chapter 4. He says, you have a daddy in heaven who is saying, stop living like you've been living. Don't worry about them. It doesn't matter what they have. It doesn't matter what they can do. Just look right here in my eyes and listen to me, he says. Get your view about you from the one who made you. He's saying, I made you. So don't you think I love you? And then when everything wasn't right between us, I, I paid the price to win you back. And now I'm going to adopt you. Listen, imagine living one day fully aware of that kind of approval and acceptance. Imagine feeling that secure in who you are and in whose you are. Imagine how content you would be. Imagine how differently you would you would react when you mess up or when you failed at something or how much more confidence you would be in you. Imagine how differently you would treat other people and how much more dip, deeply you would be able to love people because of the kind of security that that would bring to you. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is right there at your fingertips. All you have to do is start listening to what your heavenly father, your daddy says about you. That's all you gotta do. Now, if you're with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we want you to know this. Jesus died for your sin. He rose again so that you could be redeemed. And God has this standing offer, no matter what you've done, and we just introduced it to you today, the standing offer to be adopted into his family. And the only question for you is not what you've done. The question for you is, will you choose to embrace the offer? 
so that you then can get your view about you from the one who made you, loves you, redeemed you, and adopted you. Because I'm telling you folks, this is where our security is found. And once you accept this incredible offer from God, then you're gonna be ready for the next step to contentment, which we will pick up there next week. But for those of you who are ready to embrace this, if you're a follower of Christ, as I pray to close out here in just a moment, just say, Daddy, Father, I, I, I wanna get a, man, I, I wanna live in this kind of security. Help me to begin to get my view from you because you made me. Therefore, you love me the way I am. You, you don't think I got any problems because I can't do what my brother or my sister or my mom or my dad can't do. You created me, you loved me, you redeemed me, and you adopted me. But for those of you who've never received that gift of adoption, I wanna give you the opportunity to accept that right now. So all of our churches, if everybody will bow your heads and open your hearts to God. If you've never received Jesus Christ, forgiveness for all of your sin, his redemption, if you've never received that, if you've never said, God, I, I'm accepting your offer to become your son or your daughter, will you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud? Just say, Jesus, today, I get it. I don't have to live up to what my dad did or my mom did or make up for what my dad did or my mom did or some other family member did. I don't even have to make up for what I did in my past because Jesus, I get it, you redeemed my past. You paid for my past, but you didn't just pay for my past. You, you paid for my past, my present, and my future by dying on the cross and rising again to pay the penalty for all my sin. But in doing that, you expressed your incredible love to me. But more than that, you've made this incredible offer that once I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I declare, Jesus, you are my savior and I ask you for your forgiveness of all of my sin and I accept this relationship. Today, I get to become your son, your daughter. And today I'm asking you, Jesus, I, I want that. I receive that gift of forgiveness. I receive this gift of a new life in Jesus Christ. And, and in receiving that, I understand, I, I get a new relationship with creator God as my father. And, and God, this is just kind of unique, but for me, for the first time to say, thank you for allowing me to call you daddy. I, I do that with the highest respect, but also with the deepest humility and just this amazement. I get to call you, the one who created this world, this universe, that created me. And then I messed up our relationship because of our sin. Now you're offering me a brand new start with you. And today I receive that. Thank you for this incredible gift. And I'm gonna keep coming back and learning where to go from here. If you just prayed that prayer, you're starting this new relationship with God as daddy, father. Please let us know that by, on that connect card, say, hey, I started a brand new relationship with God today or stop by the gallery at your campus and talk to someone and say, hey, I started that relationship so we can help you begin to live in that. But for every one of you, I just wanna close out with this as our final part of our prayer. Father, we want to be able to wake up every morning of every day and close out every 
evening of every day and live through every moment of every day and even when we wake up at night knowing that you are indwelling us that our heavenly father is with us at all times and we can just have a conversation and say dad here's what I'm doing here's what I'm going through dad here's what I'm experiencing so thank you for this incredible opportunity. Help us to begin today to understand the secret of being content by getting our view from you. The one who made us, one who loves us deeper than anyone else could love us because you know every little part of us. The one who's redeemed us and then the one who has offered us adoption into sonship to be a son or daughter of yours. Thank you for your incredible love. Help us to learn to live in it and appreciate it and understand it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. Come back next week and we'll tell you the next part of the secret of contentment. We'll see you next Sunday.